Hi everybody, this is Vanessa from Find Your Resilience. So on today's episode, I wanted to talk about my career as a psychiatric nurse practitioner, why I decided to go into psychiatry, what my current role is as a psych MP, and where I see myself in the next five years. So to start off, I would say psychiatry was never something that I initially wanted to do. To be honest, I kind of veered from it. I could say like my first nursing job, I worked on a unit um, with like orthopedics. Um, I did a lot of patient care with patients that needed knee replacements, hip replacements. I also did med surge. So a lot of the, you know, surgical patients I dealt with as well. And I did that for about three years until I got tired of it. And then I decided to do float pool where I would float to different units still doing med surge. And then I was like, you know what? I'm getting tired of this. I want to try something different. And I decided to do intensive care, which honestly I hated. Intensive care was super stressful. I'm not a type A super organized person. So like, you know, I just, I didn't want to go to work expecting like a patient to die and have to worry about like titration and drips and all that stuff. Like, I don't know, that doesn't give me good adrenaline. Like I just, I don't know. I didn't like ICU. I did it for about a year until I got fired. And if you guys don't know about how I got fired, take a listen to previous episodes because I do talk about that. But yeah, ICU just wasn't for me. And I guess I got fired by the grace of God. Who knows? But anywho, I decided um, to go back to school for grad school. So I was like, okay, I want to be a nurse practitioner. And I feel like a lot of people who are RNs kind of decide to go into that route, which honestly, there's a lot to do in nursing. Like you don't have to be a nurse practitioner after an RN. To be honest, some people just enjoy doing bedside nursing and going to travel nursing. So there's just different avenues in nursing, which I love. So if you do get bored, you could find different, you know, directions and you could end up finding what you like. So I decided to go back to school as a nurse practitioner and I did apply to an online program, um, which was at Georgetown University. And for those who don't know about Georgetown University, they're a well-known school. Um, Their location is in DC, but this was an online program. So I'll do everything remote. And this was way before COVID. And I did that for a year until I didn't do well in my classes. You need to have like a, I want to say a 3.5 GPA to proceed into clinicals. But I did not have that. I had like a 3.0 and... That was not cutting it, so I had to withdraw, unfortunately, and I wasted like mad money. But God had better plans, and you know, around this time, I do mention this in my previous episode that I got fired and I had to start school over. So yeah, I ended up reapplying to schools and decided that I wanted to go to the University of Pennsylvania. And UPenn, for those who don't know, is Ivy League, and they are known to have the top psych program in the state, well, in the U.S., but at this time, I didn't want to do psych MP. I still wanted to do family nurse practitioner, 
So I just transferred my credits that I got from Georgetown and transferred them to Penn. So I was going to continue a family nurse practitioner program there. And to be honest, after doing some self-reflecting, I realized FMP is not for me. You know, I'm not really into medical stuff, to be honest, like cardiology, pulmonology, aesthetic stuff. Like, I don't know. It doesn't bring me joy. Like, I don't know. It just, it didn't, yeah, it didn't, I wasn't passionate for it, so I didn't care for it. And I remember going to India, I did a mental health um study abroad there which was really last minute i remember going to penn january of 2018 and the world was mine so i was like oh i want to do different things i'm in a new city i'm going to this bomb ass school i was like okay i want to make this experience great i never did study abroad before so i was like okay vanessa we're gonna do study abroad this time around and I remember seeing this study abroad in India and I'm like, ooh, I would love to go to India. Um, so yeah, I applied, I got accepted into the study abroad program and I ended up going to India summer of 2018. And it was only for like a month. It wasn't a long program. But at that time, I don't think I knew it was based like on mental health. I was just really fascinated that I was going to India and I never really like looked into what the course syllabus was. But yeah, once I got into India, I was able to learn more about these nonprofit organizations, um, about mental health in the community. I got to see like this university. I got to see um, their psychiatric units in the hospital. And I must say, it was quite impressive. Like in India, they're very family oriented. So like a lot of their psychiatric patients that are like admitted, you also see like the whole family as well in the patient's room. So it was quite interesting. I know here in the US, you don't really see that. I mean, you'll see maybe like one family member, but like like the hospitals will accommodate the patient and their whole family. So you'll see the mom, the dad, the siblings. It's quite impressive. Like you have a whole big room um, in these hospitals, which was pretty cool. Um, and then I realized, I'm like, man, I could see myself doing mental health. I know in the community, they were really providing housing for homeless patients who happen to have like psychiatric illnesses and it was so cool to see how like the rehabilitation that you would see like a homeless person and the progression that they had in their mental health once housing was provided. Um, so that was pretty neat too. And I'm like, oh man, I wish they did more of that in the US. But I don't think there's a lot of funding that goes towards mental health. But you know, it looks like things are changing. So hopefully in the near future, we could see improvement with like the homeless population. But I was just so impressed and quite passionate about it. And I'm like, you know what, why am I not doing psychiatry? And, um, you know, I do mention that my mom, you know, does suffer from schizophrenia and is on medication. And I'm like, you know, Vanessa, this is what you were destined to do. But at the time, you know, you just don't want to deal with it. You don't want to sit with your problems. You don't want to really 
reflect who you are as a person and how your experiences have shaped you. So after, you know, that whole experience with the study abroad, I sat down with myself and I was like, hmm, you know, psychiatry would be a great route for me just because of my personal experience, my study abroad, and just like the passion and empathy and sympathy I have towards mental health. So I remember at Penn just switching the whole program midway and having to tell my advisor that I no longer want to do family nurse practitioner. I want to go into the psychiatric nurse practitioner program. And I remember getting pushback like, oh, you would have to wait another two years before you could switch over to the program. And I did not take that for an answer. I was like, no, I haven't started my core classes yet. We're going to make it into the psych program. So I remember just like talking to advisors and just emailing different directors, emailing professors until I was able to switch into the psych MP program. Um, Cause I had just finished my prerequisites. So this was like the good timing for me to switch over to the program to start the core classes because I didn't want to waste time nor money. Um, and I end up loving my classes. You end up learning about like geriatric mental health, pediatric mental health, community mental health. Um, you learn about cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a therapeutic modality to kind of teach you about you know, your mindset, pretty much how your thoughts affect your feelings, which affect your behaviors. So I was able to learn different modalities on therapy. And I just find that more interesting. I really enjoy it. And, you know, I had no regrets switching into the program. And here I am now. I graduated I was done with clinicals like May 2020, but I didn't get my diploma till August 2020. And then moved to Atlanta. And at that time, I had to study for my board. So, so for those who do want to go into psychiatry as a nurse practitioner, there is a group on Facebook I want to say it's Georgette, like psychiatric mental health, like pretty much it's this girl. I believe she has her PhD or DMP now, but like she helps you pass your boards um, to pass the psych NP boards. And it was super helpful. So I definitely enrolled in her program and passed my boards first time around. So, yeah, when I moved to Atlanta, I just needed a RN job in the meantime and I end up working at a crisis center. So I worked for the Cobb County Community Service Board. So pretty much this is community-based and I worked at a crisis center. So I really dealt with adults at this time. And I mean, I started substance use treatment. So there were a lot of people that came in with substance use. So that could have been, that could have been opiates, um, alcohol, those were the main ones. Um, depression, anxiety, um, just medication management. So as an RN, I, you know, passed the meds. Um, I treated them. I would draw labs, so I would take their blood and vital signs and all that. 
So I was there for about six months until I passed my boards and it was time for me to apply for new jobs as an NP. And I was a little nervous because I'm like, oh man, like who's going to want a new grad as an NP? And listen, y'all, don't, like if you want to become a nurse practitioner, there are doctors who are willing to hire new grads because guess what? It's cheaper to hire them. Um, you know, as a new grad, you have no experience. So guess what? They're going to pay you the lowest. Um, so that's exactly what happened. I ended up working for a private practice. But this time around, I wanted to work with kids. So I made sure that I was working for a board certified child and adolescent psychiatrist. So I did that and I ended up helping this doctor inpatient at a behavioral hospital. I was helping him see a lot of kids a day. Um, so this was a very, this is like a well-known psychiatric hospital in Atlanta and they see adults and they see pediatrics and adolescents. So I was seeing mostly pediatric adolescents at this psych hospital and y'all, he put me to work. So I was seeing at least about, I want to say a good 30 patients on my own. I think once I got comfortable, like he let me take over. So I was seeing 30 patients on my own. And that was a lot. That was a lot. And to be honest, like you're not really giving great care. When you're seeing so many patients, it's literally a drive by. Like you see these kids for like five minutes and you leave and move on to the next one. And I'm like, nah, this is not right. Like I don't know if I want to do this. Like, I really want to spend time and hear these patients out, especially in psychiatry. Like, you have to show empathy. You have to listen. Um, five minutes is just not enough, especially if you're starting medications for these kids. Like, you really want to see the um the effects of the medications and, you know, monitor side effects. So I did that for a good nine months. Didn't really get great experience because... In the inpatient setting, you see so many different cases, and I learned a lot from like psychosis to ECT, which is an electric, um, what is it, electric convulsive therapy. So usually it's ECT, so it's like shock treatment that you give to adults and kids who have either treatment resistant depression or even like you know psychosis, schizophrenia. So in Atlanta, this hospital is like the only hospital that provides that treatment. So I would get a lot of kids from different places um, to get this from my psychiatrist. But yeah, I learned a lot. I saw like substance use in kids, um, dual diagnosis. I've seen very few cases of child onset schizophrenia. It's not common, but I think I saw at least one case of that. Um I saw really neat cases. I can't think of it at the moment, but when I do have one, I will share um, some cool cases. But yeah, child adolescent psychiatry is very interesting. And, you know, for those who don't know, this is where mental health um, illnesses start. It starts in the child adolescent stage. You know, at this stage, children are finding their identity. And, you know, that could be a very stressful time in a child's life and especially if they do have trauma that makes it 10 times harder and especially like um if there's like any financial concerns so there's just so many factors involved 
So, you know, after I got my experience there, I decided I wanted to work for a children's hospital. So now I am part of a consult psychiatry team. So where I am now, they don't have a psychiatric unit in this hospital. So I'm usually consulted if there is a child with concerns of anything psychiatric, behavioral. So I personally work in the emergency room, but we do have other members that work on the floors as well. But for me, I was hired in the emergency room. So what's cool about my job, I work alongside with um, licensed clinical social workers and licensed professional counselors. So what we do, we do evaluations in the emergency room of children that are in crisis. So a lot of the times these kids are either being brought by like the EMS, the emergency you know, medical services, or their parent, or if they're in foster care, it's usually the department um, of family and children services. So there's a lot of kids that, you know, come um, from different, you know, different counties, and they're usually need a psychiatric evaluation. A lot of kids that I see come in for like suicidal ideation, so they have suicidal thoughts, that's worsening and not getting better. There's a lot of children that I see um, with suicide attempts via ingestion or trying to cut themselves with a knife. Um, those are usually the main ones I've seen. Bipolar is not really one I see often, even though there's a lot of children that are diagnosed with bipolar, it's not really truly bipolar. Like, if a kid is acting out, like, please don't label this kid with bipolar. Like, there's so many more factors included to meet the criteria for bipolar. And I think we use this term a lot loosely, but no, because your kid is acting out, it does not make him bipolar. And bipolar is more than just mood swings. So it's typical to see a child with mood swings. It doesn't mean he's bipolar. Um, you do see DMDD a lot in younger kids, and that's disruptive dysregulation mood disorder. So usually these are kids that like act out by throwing objects across the room, that are attacking people, that don't like to follow directions, that have like emotional dysregulation. And, you know, they have this frequently with minimal assistance with, you know, to de-escalate them. So that's something you see common. But bipolar, let's stop labeling our little kids with bipolar. I see that a lot in the emergency room and it could be a little frustrating. Um, what else have I seen? Anxiety is a big one. A lot of kids with anxiety. Trauma. Especially in Atlanta, there's a lot of psychosocial factors included in a lot of these kids. You know, a lot of their parents are either in and out of jail or they are suffering with their own mental health illness. So they can't tend to the emotional needs of their child. Um, so a lot of these kids have attachment issues. Um, you know, these kids act out in different ways. So I've seen different cases. Um, depression is like a, you know, common one. Depression and anxiety are very common in kids. But those are 
assessments that I do, especially like in the emergency room, we try to get them in and out to another facility. So like since my hospital doesn't have a psychiatric facility, um, and if they do meet the criteria to be placed in a psychiatric facility, there is a document, it's a legal document called 1013 here in the state of Georgia, which means that they will be going to a psychiatric facility involuntarily. Um, so yeah, once they're seen, they'll go straight there. And, um, you know, it's usually a quick process, but depending on your insurance, sometimes it could take longer. So for those who have traditional Medicaid, sometimes they're sitting in the ED for more than 24 hours because there's no facility that's willing to take them because of their insurance. So that's the sucky part about this whole mental health thing. It's like these insurance companies, the facilities that are willing to take the insurance companies. So like if you don't have good insurance, like you're basically getting like crappy service. And that's unfortunate for these kids who really need the help. But unfortunately, they're limited to resources because of the type of insurance they have. But, um, you know, I've had a lot of kids that come in with aggression. They come in with restraints. So I do help out to provide as needed medications to help alleviate this aggression, to help calm them down so I can order meds um, with the assistance of the doctor that I work with. So that's what I do in the emergency room. So I do a lot of crisis evaluations and, you know, I learn a lot. I see a lot and, you know, it's a job that kind of fell on my lap, thank God. So that's what I've been doing for like a year now in the emergency room. I do help out on the floors as well. So there are kids that are here for medical reasons in the hospital, but they all they also have a history of, um you know, psychiatric illnesses. So I'll assess them as well on the floor if they need adjustments to meds or if they need a new medication or if they need resources. A lot of the, these kids, you know, have never seen a therapist or a counselor before. So we'll provide them of resources so that their parent could take them to see someone to talk to. Um, so that's something I really enjoy because I think a lot of families are very, I guess, hesitant to have their child talk to a counselor, but it's very beneficial. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong. Like you don't really have to have anything wrong with you to talk to a counselor. You could just have your kid talk to someone so they could get into the habit of expressing their emotions. And I know there's a lot of kids that struggle with that. I know for me, I don't think I ever learned how to express my emotions until adulthood. I always used to suppress my feelings because I never wanted to upset, you know, my family. So I would keep my feelings to myself and I was a people pleaser, I guess. Like, you know, you would do things to please your parents because you don't want to get them upset. But then you're suppressing how you feel inside and that's not good. And I've seen that manifest into like drinking a lot, smoking, um, just addiction, um, depression, it could just, it could manifest into a lot of things. But with me, I used to suppress my feelings a lot. And especially like, you know, like as a child, if you have your opinion, you're told you're a child, don't, you're not entitled to speak your mind. And this is in a Haitian household, like Haitians, I mean, in my household, I don't want to speak for all Haitians, but as a child, you're you're not entitled to speak your 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 mind, and once you do, you are considered rude, 
and you know that's toxic if you think about it so you know moving forward god willing when i have my own kids i really want to teach them how to express themselves because i think kids should be able to like you know if they're having a bad day they should be able to tell me that if they're having a good day they should be able to know how to label emotions um and if something's bothering them they should be able to come to me and i should be able to validate their emotions and i think a lot of times when we're taught as a child to suppress our feelings, we end up doing the same thing to our kids if you're not self-aware about that. So that's something I definitely do not want to continue when I have my own kids. Like I want my kids to be able to regulate their emotions and listen, you're crying. It's okay to cry. I don't want to tell my kids stop crying. Like that's something I always see a lot. Stop crying. Stop crying. And it's like, it's okay to cry. You know, it's an emotion. Um, you know, tell me why you're crying and what can we do to make it better? Um, but just to tell a child so much, cause I'm learning when I'm like helping other people with their emotions, it's teaching me how to help mine as well. So it's very therapeutic, but yeah, so that's what I'm doing now as a psychiatric nurse practitioner. So as a psych NP, I'm working alongside with a psychiatrist. So I'm pretty much, I'm able to do everything a doctor can do. Um, you know, in different states do have different laws and policies and stuff. So you do have to, you know, regulate, you know, you have to make sure that you're doing what the state wants you to do. But I'm able to diagnose, I could treat, I could medicate, um, I could order labs. As a psych MP, I could have my own private practice. In the state of Georgia, um, we're not allowed to be autonomous, but I believe Florida is a state where you can have your own private practice. So that's great news. There's a lot of states in the United States that allow you to have your own private practice, which is awesome because in mental health, you um, there's limited resources, especially in child and adolescent psychiatry. There's far to none like psychiatrists. So if y'all want to become psych MPs, like for those who are doing nursing and you have a passion for it, go ahead and do it because there's money there. Trust me. Like, and it's not even for the money, but the need, like mental health is really expanding. Um, So that's what I'm doing now. And then in the next five years, I mean, God willing, I would love to have my own practice. Um. I don't want to be stressed and I don't want to be overworked. So I have to find that, you know, work-life balance that works out for me and my family. Um, but I would love to also, um, I would also want to provide therapy as well, cognitive behavioral therapy specifically. And as I mentioned earlier, this is like a, a evidence-based modality that helps you change your mindset. It kind of teaches you how to change your thoughts um, that affects your feelings and your behaviors and stuff like that. So that's something I'm really interested in. And I actually started taking courses for it as well. So that's something I would love to provide, um, not just medication management, but therapy as well. And I think that's so important, especially in the Black community. Um, and just continue to find, you know, what brings me joy. I would love to continue this podcast we'll see where this takes me 
Um, and I also do want to um, include spirituality in my clinic as well. And there is an article that I found. It's a professor from Penn State University. And what is her name? So Professor Stephanie Winklejohn Black. Anywho, she is a professor of psychology at Penn State. And I think she's trying to create this program to help train psychologists and therapists on how to work with clients that have a religious and faith base. Um, and she found there was at least 20 psychologists that had no affiliations with spirituality. And I must say spirituality has helped me a lot in my mental health. Um, as I mentioned before, like I love praying, I love talking to God. Um, you know, it helps me with my faith, to be honest. Like if I didn't have that connection with God, I feel like my faith wouldn't be as strong. Um, and even with my sense of purpose, like I feel like, you know, spirituality has helped me a lot. And uh, and there's this article, well, not article, but there's this resource that I found from University of Pennsylvania, my alma mater, that kind of lists some of the benefits of spirituality. And here, I think there was like four things that they list. They said how being religious is associated with reduced smoking, drug and alcohol use. They said how young people who engage in religious, spiritual practices are more likely to have better grades and delay in having sex. Um, they list that being religious or spiritual has positive benefits for relationships. Um, they find that there's less conflict in their marriage and they find to be more supportive in their relationships. And it brings on more virtues such as altruism, volunteerism, kindness, forgiveness. And I know the churches promote a lot of that. Um, and it helps cope with stressful life events. So, you know, those are some things that spirituality can help with for those who are spiritual but that's something i want to include in my clinic because that's who i am as a person and you can't take that away from me because that's who i am but yeah that's you know i just listed some of the reasons why i went to psychiatry what i'm doing currently now as a psych mp and where i see myself in the next you know few years as a psychiatric nurse practitioner you know there was a point where i wanted to write a book i don't know um, I don't know. I've always wanted to write a book. I don't know how to write a book, but you know, there's research out there and there's people that could guide me in the right direction. But if I were to write a book, it would probably be a memoir. I don't know. We'll see. May It wouldn't be now though. Maybe when I gain more experience in my career and I don't know, we'll see where life takes me. But if you guys have any further questions, I would love to answer them. I don't know. I find that as a solo podcaster, it could be quite difficult to come up with interesting topics and conversations if I'm not interviewing others. Um, so I remember I was watching a YouTube on how to keep the audience engaged and they're saying interview yourself. 
And I'm like, oh, okay, that's quite interesting. And I, you know, I feel like you guys should be able to connect with me as a podcaster in my audience. So I need to talk about like, I guess me, but not in a narcissistic way, if that makes sense. But yeah, in the next few episodes, I do have some professionals, mental health professionals that I will be interviewing. Um, There are two psychiatric nurse practitioners that I'll be interviewing. So stay tuned for my future episodes. But yeah, let me know what you want to hear and I will try to provide. But thank you guys for listening to Find Your Resilience. Um, You know, take the time to reflect what makes you resilient. What is something that you learned last year that you want to, um, you know, change this year? Are you journaling? Um, What are some bad habits you learned that you want to change? Are you seeking therapy? You know, that's something that people aren't doing, that people are afraid to do. Um, You know, there's just... There's just so many things I could talk about. But anywho, thank you for listening to Finding Resilience and stay tuned for future episodes. Take care.